0: something up here with me this morning. And some of you might recognize what they are. Um, these were written about 30 years ago, okay? Back when we actually wrote letters, right? We wrote letters, and we wrote them on paper, and we folded them up, and we sent them to someone special, right? So these are, um, these are all the letters that I I wrote to my wife while I was courting her. She saved them. And I saved hers too, but I didn't bring them here because I don't think you should see those, but I don't care if you see what I wrote. (laughs) Okay. So I want to make a point. Could everybody who was 25 or younger stand up? 25 or younger, just stand up, okay? And... um, have you ever written on a piece of paper, folded it up, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and mailed it to somebody? If you did, you can raise your hand. Okay. There's, there's, there's a few. That's good. That's really good. I know that ours is like our compassion child, right? So, so some of you have done that. Okay, now, this is what I want you to do next. I want you to raise your hand if you've ever used, like, WhatsApp, or Skype, or FaceTime to talk to somebody, okay? Okay, I think all the young people are saying, a lot of everybody here has done that, right? Okay, you guys can sit down, thank you. This is what I want you to realize, is that when we have something that's, that's better, we tend to move to that thing that's better. So when we do FaceTime or, or Skyping, we can see the person's face, we can hear the intonation of their voice, We know a lot more about what's there. A lot more is revealed to us about what's being communicated as opposed to when we just have a letter and we can't even ask a question. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is about the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant, God God communicated through the law. But in the new covenant, God communicated through Jesus Christ, a full revelation of himself through the person of Jesus And so that's what we want to talk about today, about how God came and spoke to us through Jesus was a better way than when he spoke on Mount Sinai and the law. And so the problem is that back then they were afraid of God's voice, but we have that same issue today, and that's what we're going to talk about today. As we go to Hebrews chapter 12, and as you turn the page to Hebrews chapter 12, I want to tell you a little bit about the book of Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, the author is unknown. And, but we do know this, that they must have been a Jewish convert or a Gentile who had a background in the Jewish faith and understood exactly where they were coming from. Because he uses a lot of references that someone who would have a Jewish faith would understand and know and the Jews at this time had been persecuted and sent out to many nations but it's soon after the persecution and they had now the new covenant in Jesus and that it was better and he wanted them to remember that the new covenant was far better than the old covenant that they were under and so he's making the case uh, the promises of the new covenant the new heaven and the new earth are far better Than that, the way that we should color the way we live our lives and the way that we worship, because they should be done in the light of heaven. I'm going to read uh, from Hebrews 12. I'm going to start in verse 18, and I'm going to read to verse 24. For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, And to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the saints of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You can write this down. Consider where you are. Are you standing on Mount Zion? Or are you still standing on Mount Sinai? It makes a difference. The author here is making a comparison of the two. So he's comparing Mount Sinai as a picture of the law, as a picture of God in his first covenant, And then he's showing Zion, and that's a picture of the new covenant, and of Jesus Christ, a greater revelation. And it's not a place, and he wants us to know, that it is a place you can touch, Mount Sinai, but the people were afraid to touch it, and they were told not to touch it. But we can touch it because it's a real place, and that's what he wants us to understand. It is a real place. And the Jewish converts would have known exactly what this writer was talking about when he spoke about uh, the mountain and the fire and the smoke and the gloom and the tempest. Because they would have thought right back to um, passages in Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20. And what he's done, he's taking those passages and he is kind of compressing them and putting them together in a single story. But he's done a couple things that he's twisted just a little bit that you might not catch, and I want you to be aware of. He said that even Moses trembled. And Moses did tremble in these accounts. But Moses did not tremble at the sight of the pyrotechnics of the mountain. Moses trembled when he came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. And he saw that they had now turned to a golden calf. That's when Moses trembled. And Moses was afraid that God would annihilate uh, them all. You see, they were to come to the foot of the mountain. And I understand that they were to come because God was going to be present. They would be able to be close to God's presence. And imagine being invited into a place where you could come into God's presence. And they saw the fire and the smoke and the loud thunder, and they became afraid. And they ran. They ran from God's presence. You see lest we think that we're any better than them, they had a history with God that we need to remember. They saw God destroy the Egyptians, all of the plagues. They saw God destroy the Egyptian army in the sea. And they were afraid of the power of God. But they had forgotten something. They had forgotten God's faithfulness in that same situation, the way that God had taken care of them even in the midst of destroying the Egyptians. They had forgotten his faithfulness for the cloud to lead them during the day, for the fire to lead them at night. And that he was faithful in all those things, that he cared for them, loved them, gave them manna and quail to eat. And we are no better. When God speaks to us and asks us to do something difficult, how many times do we, in fear, step away from God, afraid about what he's asking us to do? forgetting the faithfulness of what he's done for us already and for the way that he's taken care of us. And so I'd like to read for us right now from Exodus 20. I'm going to read from verses 18 to 21. And when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound and the trumpet of the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled As they stood far off, remember they were supposed to stand at the foot, but they were far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near into the thickness where God was. They were so afraid to come to the presence of God that they said, we can't even handle listening to God speaking to us. You listen to him and you come back and you tell us what God said because we can't handle it. And so then Moses and at other times Aaron and some of the elders approached the mountain and they're able to go up. Even though there's the, 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 the idea that they're not to touch the mountain, certain people were allowed to come and to be in God's presence. And they ascended the mountain, and they were there with God. They even had a meal with God. So they were truly in God's presence. But the writer wants us to know that this is not where we're coming. No, we are not coming to that mountain where God judged the people. Because we all know the rest of the story, right? All the people who did not have the faith, except for um, Caleb and Joshua, all of them died in the desert. They were judged. We've not come there. We've not come to that place. But we have come to Mount Zion. We have come to Mount Zion. And you know what? Those Jewish converts would have known exactly where that place was too. It was just as real as Mount Sinai. Mount Zion is the very place where when David came to conquer the area where Jerusalem is, it's the hill he took in Jerusalem and started the city of David. And so that is where they are told that they are to be. So even though that they have been scattered, the writer of Hebrews tells them, that they are now standing on Mount Zion. And what's happening to them as they come there, they are able to see the glory of God, the new Jerusalem. And though we cannot, they, they cannot see the new Jerusalem, they are needing to know that just as Mount Zion is real and Mount Sinai is real, so is the heavenly Jerusalem that is coming, it is just as real. And they need to know that in that place, they are standing, he's asking them to imagine themselves, standing on Mount Zion, a real place. And from heaven comes the heavenly Jerusalem. A picture of heaven. And we'll see that as we read from Revelation in a little bit. But heaven is coming down, and you are in the presence of heaven coming down right to you when you're coming into the presence of God. And who is there with you? It tells us many angels that are there. Innumerable angels are present in that place where we've come in the front of God, as we come into God's presence. And again, it's a picture of worship. Remember, they would come to the foot of the mountain and God expected them to stay there and to worship him and to commune with him. And so here now in Zion, it's a picture of us coming to God and to be in his presence to worship him. And so there we are with all of these angels around us. And then next we see that the other people that are there are the firstborn of heaven, enrolled. What does that mean? It's the firstborn of heaven, the firstborn in heaven enrolled. We have to kind of think a little bit about what it's like. Uh, how about if you have you ever applied for college, or to go to medical school or law school, right? And then, Lord willing, uh, you get a letter one day, and it says you've been in sect- accepted, right? And after you get your acceptance letter, you go to their offices and you enroll in the classes. Now, you haven't started yet. You're not a lawyer or a doctor or a college graduate yet, but you're enrolled. And that's the picture that he wants us to see. Because you see in Revelation, in chapter 20, which follows, uh, which is right before the picture that we see here. If we go to Revelation, you'll see a picture in 21, and we'll read that in a little bit, of the heavenly Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But in 20, right before that, there's something called the Great White Throne Judgment. And at the Great White Throne Judgment, everyone who has ever lived, who's alive or dead, will come before that throne. And as they come before that throne, books are opened. And those books are going to tell everything about what you've done in this life, good and bad. And God will judge from those books. And what he sees, our sin, will earn us each a place in a lake of fire. But there is one more book that will be opened. And that book is the book of life. And in that book is the names of all who will go from that great white throne judgment to the heavenly Jerusalem. Those who are being saved. And in that book are all the people who have chosen the gospel, have chosen Jesus Christ as their Savior. And their books, their name is there in that book of life. They are enrolled. Okay. Now here's the picture. You and I are enrolled in that book if we have believed on Jesus Christ. But we're not there yet. But we are enrolled. It's a sure thing. And he's telling the people that are there, that are dispersed among the nations, and us today too, that if we have believed in Jesus, we are enrolled. And we are there in that picture on Mount Sinai, watching heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem, come down at Mount Zion. And the other thing he wants to see too, not only are those who are enrolled, but God is there. Just as God was on Mount Sinai. And they were afraid. God is going to be there. And we will not be afraid. And it says the judge, the very one who judged them at Mount Sinai, the one who's able to judge you and I, he will be there. But we will not be judged because of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. And next we see two. Are the spirits of the righteous made perfect? Those are all the saints who have gone before us. And so there we are standing on Mount Zion in the presence of God, innumerable angels. All of the church around us and all the saints who have gone before us. And next we see after that is Jesus. But first, let's think about this too. Jesus is a contrast to what they saw on Mount Zion. Mount Zion, the contrast to what they saw on Sinai. And on Sinai, they received the law. And the law was meant to be followed, but it was also to point them to a Savior. You see, the law is impossible to keep. I don't know anyone who has ever kept all of the Ten Commandments except for Jesus Christ. And you see, Jesus even wanted to make sure we understood that we could never keep the law. And so I flipped in my Bible. You don't have to go there. But I'm at Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus talks about the law. He says, You've heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, another one of the Ten Commandments. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And again, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him, the other, also. The Ten Commandments is impossible. And Jesus just upped the ante that it's even more impossible. And that's because it was meant to drive us to Jesus, to look to the Savior. And Jesus said he didn't come to abolish this law. He came to fulfill it. And that is exactly what Jesus did. He came and obeyed every piece of the law and even beyond. And that's what earned him the place because he already was the one and only Savior. He was God. And so that's why there's this picture next of Jesus and the sprinkled blood. When the writer of Hebrews mentioned the sprinkled blood, those who were there with a Jewish history would would automatically realize that he's talking about uh, in the temple where they would sprinkle blood of bulls and goats to cover their sin. And that was done as a temporary thing. The blood of bulls and goats was never meant to be permanent. It was meant to be a picture of what would come, the sacrifice that would come one day. And that would be a perfect sacrifice. It would be Jesus Christ. And he would sacrifice himself once and for all. And um, I'd like to go to Hebrews, flip a couple pages to Hebrews 10. I'm going to read from verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice himself, For sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. What it means by that, that he sat down, it means that he was done. He was finished. When the king proclaims something and he sits, it means he's done. And so the Lord of lords sacrificed himself for us, and that was finished. Now, his blood speaks a better word, because Jesus is the word, than the blood of Abel. You remember Abel? Abel gave a right sacrifice to God, and his brother Cain was jealous, and he killed him. But it it tells us in Genesis, as his blood poured out, it cried out for vengeance. So the blood of Abel speaks of vengeance, but the blood of Jesus Christ speaks of forgiveness and grace and mercy and everlasting life. You see, when we believe in Jesus Christ, it's as though we are there at that altar and we are sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. And so when God sees us, he no longer sees us and our sin, but our sin is covered by the sin offering of Jesus Christ. And so when God looks at us, he sees his son whom he loves and who he is who he says is acceptable before him. And now I remember that when I came to Christ, I remember when I confessed and turned to Christ and claimed him as my Savior. I remember, I remember the guilt that fell from me, the guilt that I was carrying to that moment. And I knew that I was set free. And although at that moment I was set free from many of the sins that I was involved in. There were still a few that held on. And those sins even struggle with me today. I soon realized that it was impossible to live a sinless life. And so I began to do something. I began to forget the gospel that saved me. was the same gospel that I need to remind myself every day. And so I thought perhaps maybe... Maybe I could perform a little bit better. Maybe if I could do a little bit of sin management, I could be a little bit better. I'll stop doing those bad things I, I should not be doing. And I did my best in my flesh to stop myself from doing those things. The thing is, I put myself back on Mount Sinai. I was thinking that, you know what? If, if I could manage my sin and if I could perform a little bit better, if I could perform well, then you know what? Then others wouldn't see my sin and maybe God wouldn't see my sin. And I was back on Mount Sinai and I thought that God's law was something that I could accomplish. I forgot that when Jesus died, he covered my sin. Not just the ones from past, present, and future, but he covered the ones that I was committing that very day and that I needed to be able to confess that and come back to him. I began to look at God's holiness and try and make it something I could do. I was shrinking God's holiness. And I I would like them to put a chart up here. And this chart comes from a book that I read recently. And I'll give you the reference in a minute. But it tells us at the time that we are converted, we should have a growing awareness of God's holiness. And at that same moment, we should have a growing awareness of, of our flesh and our sinfulness. But you see what happened to me? I was at that top part of the chart, and instead of the, the, the cross growing, I was making it shrink because I made God's holiness something lower, something I could do, something I could accomplish. And then after that, I began to pretend. I began to pretend like I wasn't such a bad sinner. I looked at other people and thought, hey, they're pretty bad. Maybe I'm not as bad as them. Then over time, you start thinking, well, I'm not necessarily going to look at my sin and myself. And you know what? I began to shrink the cross again because I failed to see my own sinfulness. But you know what I forgot to do? I was allowing myself not to look at this book and to see the sin that would convict me. And perhaps the worst thing of all is when you begin to become complacent and comfortable in that place. And so now, year after year, even though you should be growing and maturing in Christ, you're staying the same over and over. You become complacent to listen to Uh, the congratulations or attaboys of other people thinking that you're doing okay. And you fail to look at this book and examine yourself in a right way. But that's what we need to do. We need to begin to look at ourselves in this book, realize the sin that we commit every day, and realize that God still loves us that we're still acceptable before God because we are covered in the blood of Christ. I don't need to be ashamed to admit my sin. I don't need to be um, ashamed because unless I look at my sin and I confess it and I turn from it, there's no chance that I will ever change. And so I'm convinced that lasting change will never come unless we confess, unless we repent, And we move back to this book. We study God's word. We spend time with him. We worship him on Mount Zion in his presence. Then we can begin to grow. Then we don't have to deal with regret or with sorrow or defeat. Because we know that he is there and his mercies are new. He's always ready to forgive us and to say, begin again get up begin again draw closer to me come closer than you ever have been and that will keep you from ever wanting to go back and so yes there's consequences to our sin that doesn't go away but as we move toward him there will be less and less sin in our lives i want to show the next chart that's here this is what should be happening in our lives this is what should be happening in the cross in your heart It should be growing. And even though you have a growing awareness of your flesh and your sinfulness, it's not because you're sinning more. It's because you've come so close to God that you are more and more aware of what that sin is. And it's not that you've become more holy, but as you've realized how holy God is and what an expanse He has covered to love you and forgive you. I saw this in this little book, and I want to tell you the name of that book because if you'd like to get it, I would love for you to see it and read it because I'm not smart enough to come up with this chart. This came from a book called The Gospel-Centered Life, and it was written by Thune and Walker. It's a tiny little book. Uh, It's actually a little workbook, and you can do a chapter. It has a little article, and you can answer questions and work through it. And it's a little book, that had a huge impact on my life and my understanding of the gospel. The question is this, where are you standing? Are you standing on Mount Sinai and and afraid of the God who has the right to judge you? Are you ready to meet the Savior on Mount Zion? Or are you standing on one foot on Mount Sinai and one foot on Mount Zion, just as I was? Struggling and afraid that if people found out who you really were, that, that they wouldn't respect you. They would think less of you. But it doesn't matter what they think. All that matters is what God thinks of you. So be honest in your relationships. Be honest in accountability and small group. Stop pretending and hiding your sin. And don't be afraid of the judgment of others they will be there to help you through that struggle if they truly are believers in Christ. Don't lie to yourself and try to perform because you could never perform to the level of holiness that God is requiring. Or are you doing this? Are you leaning on the Savior every day, examining your heart, confessing your sin, knowing that the very gospel that saved you is what you need every day to remind yourself of. That Jesus died for that sin too. And that he be- invites you to begin again into a deepening, growing, intimate relationship with him. And He calls you as child. He calls you as beloved. Consider what mountain you are standing on. And you can write this down too. Don't refuse his warning. Choose the unshakable. I'm going to read from Hebrews again, starting in verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them from earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of all things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. On Mount Sinai, they heard God's voice, and it says... That his voice shook the earth. And that scared them, and they ran from God's presence. On Mount Zion, God is speaking to us from heaven. And one day he says he's going to shake everything. Everything that is created and made in this world, he is going to shake it out of existence. Now, he's not speaking of the heavenly Jerusalem. He's speaking of the heavens, like the stars, the sun, the moon, the universe. All of that one day will be shaken. And so, the new Jerusalem is unshakable. So what is shakable? This podium, this podium, shakable. It will be gone. This church and everything in it, shakable. It will be gone. Your car in the parking lot, shakeable. Your house, shakeable. All of your favorite things that you have stored away at your house, shakeable. Your bank account, shakeable. Your retirement account, shakeable. All of those things are shakeable. And you know what else is shakeable? I have high blood pressure. My high blood pressure and my high blood pressure pills? Shakeable. You have diabetes? Shakeable. Your diabetes and your medicine, all of it. Cancer and chemotherapy? Shakeable. All of those things will be gone. For those whose names are written in the book of life, you will remain. And you know why? Because Jesus and the new Jerusalem, they are unshakable. Jesus is unshakable, and all those who have trusted in Jesus by faith, all whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, all who have trusted in the gospel, it's unshakable. Let me read to you from uh, Revelation chapter 21. And I'm going to read um, from verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Death, pain, crying, it is all shakable. But do you know what else is unshakable that you can have today? The attributes of God are unshakable. The attributes of God that He wants to pour into you through the gifts Of the Holy Spirit are unshakable. He wants you to have love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control. All of those unshakable. God is warning from heaven. How much more do we need to respond? Of a God who is warning us from heaven, as to a God who warned them on earth. He's letting us know that all of this is shakable, but he and the heavens are unshakable. If you are not found in Jesus, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, you are shakable. And you are going to find yourself in the presence of that God on Mount Sinai, the God who was there with flame and fires and judgment. There's a better way. Jesus came so that you can come to Mount Zion. You can come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Jesus made a better way. The old covenant and now the new covenant, a better way. Jesus has made a way for you to come. Consider where you are and what mountain you're standing on. God is warning you from heaven to step away from that which is shakable. Come to Jesus, the one who is the only unshakable one. And if you're in Jesus, the unshakable one, then stop living for what's shakable. Stop living to build up a shakable treasure here on earth. I have a question. Are you upset with God because he took something from you that is shakable? Listen to God's warning. Seek to build that which is unwritten. Unshakable, invest in a deep, intimate, growing, unshakable relationship with the living God, the God of this universe. God is no longer speaking from Mount a Mount Sinai. He's speaking to you from heaven, and He's given you the most and greatest revelation of Himself through Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is God. Don't refuse His warning. You can write this down, too. Be thankful and worship. I'm reading from um, Hebrews again. In chapter 12. And now I'm um, reading from verse 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Heaven is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And you are receiving it right now if you have believed in Christ. It's receiving. It's a present tense verb in the Greek. That means it's coming to you even right now. You are receiving heaven. So that when you come in the presence of God, you're coming into the presence of God in heaven. And heaven is a real place, just as Mount Zion and just as Mount Sinai are real places. And I would suggest to you that heaven is much more of a real place than this place. Because this place has been corrupted by man's sin, mine and yours. Heaven has not been corrupted. And it is a real place. And one day we will be there if we are enrolled in the book of life. And all those who have gone before us are there, and they're waiting for us. Even now, as we come into God's presence, we need to think of the reality of heaven. The God, who just as easily could have judged us, just as he did at Mount Sinai, Instead, made a way through Jesus Christ so that we can come to Mount Zion. And there, Mount Zion, that real place, we can look, and before us comes down, the heavenly Jerusalem, the heaven that has made of gold that is clear as glass, that has jewels as its foundation that is filled with light because God is the light and it's filled with the glory of God, it is coming down before us and has been given to us as a gift by grace and mercy. How can we not be thankful? God has given us forgiveness and everlasting life more than we could ever imagine. How can we not be thankful? And as we we have this promise of to be able to come into his glorious presence. Let me me read to you what that looks like. Again, from Revelation chapter 21. I'm reading verses 7 and 8. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly and the faithless and the detestable, as for murders, and sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars... Basically, anybody who sinned, that's you and I until we met Jesus Christ. Their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. If you're here this morning and you haven't believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then I beg you, don't wait another day. Surrender your life to the only one who can save you. Because if you don't, real judgment awaits you. Don't stay on Mount Mount Sinai when you can come to Mount Zion. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you on the cross, you can receive grace and mercy, forgiveness and everlasting life. And so this morning, I want you to think about what mountain are you standing on? Are you living on both, or have you moved to Mount Zion? Are you listening to the warning of God that he's given you on that mountain? And are you building your life, unshakable things that will remain? Or are you growing in a greater appreciation for that which is unshakable? and that's leading you into the presence of our awesome God in worship. Our loving God has made a way, a better way, invitation through his son, Jesus Christ. And his son has purchased for us a priceless salvation, something we could never buy. Let us be thankful and worship him in reverence and in awe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that, that reminds us of what Jesus has done for us and that he died in our place to purchase our salvation so that we can come to Mount Zion and stand in your presence. That as there, as we stand, we know that the heavenly city is filled with light because it's filled with your glory. There's no need for a sun or a moon or stars, because the city is filled with the light of your glory. And there will be no day or night. It will always be day, because you will always be there. You will always be present. And it's a glorious place where we will be with you forever. And so we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. And we thank you for all that you have done to bring us to see Jesus. And we're so thankful that you have led us to that place where we can be before you and in your presence. Not run as the Israelites, but be there because we know of your loving kindness through Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.